0: Thank you William. Well, it's good to be here, Uh, great to see everybody, Um, but let's uh, get into God's Word together. We're in Acts chapter 4, continuing the series. Um, Acts chapter 4, we'll read the whole chapter. This is God's Word. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had peter and john brought before them and began to question them by what power or by what name did you do this then peter filled with the holy spirit said to them rulers and elders of the people if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed then know this you and all the people of israel It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled ordinary men, they were astonished. And took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who'd been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name." Then they called them in again and commanded them not to teach at all in the name of jesus but peter and john replied what is right in god's eyes to listen to you or to him you be the judges as for us we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard after further threats they let them go they could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising god for what had happened for the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why did the nations rage? Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, all that there were, all, all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the seals and put them at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need." Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. And we thank God for his word. Well, we're in Acts chapter 4, and You'll have noticed that the chapter divisions between chapter three and four interrupt a chain of events that have already begun. So we're picking up the story from last week. If you're here or watching online, you'll remember that Peter and John had healed a crippled man in the temple saying, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And people rushed to see what had happened and Peter seized the opportunity to tell the gathered crowd about Jesus. But As chapter four begins, the camera angle changes and it follows a new set of characters who arrive on the scene. Up to this point, the spotlight has been on the heroes, Peter and John, but now the villains step onto the stage. They are the religious authorities, the priests, the captain of the temple guard. Uh, The temple guard was like a, a private police force and the Sadducees, more about them later. So if you started reading at chapter four, verse one, you would get the impression that this story is centered on these villains. And ironically, that is exactly what these religious authorities think. They believe that they take the primary place in what is happening. This is their turf, they are in control. They wield all the power in this arena, not just in the physical setting of the temple of Jerusalem, but in the realm of religious ideas and belief. The story, so they suppose, is all about them. And by the way, they think they are the heroes and Peter and John are the villains. So what has so perturbed them that they sweep in to snatch up these two troublemakers? It's not the miracle, look at verse 2, it's that Peter and John have been speaking about Jesus and the Sadducees and their priests do not like that one little bit. Why is that? Well, my granny can help us out here. She used to say that the Sadducees were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And Peter, of course, is telling everybody that Jesus is alive, he has risen from the dead. But the religious authorities problem with Peter and John is bigger than that, much bigger. Jesus was the center of a movement. And any movement needs a center of gravity. Most often it's an idea, uh, an idea like climate change, or opposing racism, Black Lives Matter, or the hashtag MeToo movement, or veganism, or Marxism. They're all movements with an idea at the center. When I was a student over 20 years ago, Marxism, uh, the Marxists were very active. Uh, maybe some of, you me- some of you remember that era when students were passionate about ideas that could change the world, even if they were misguided at times. But the centre of gravity of the movement Peter and John were part of wasn't simply an idea, it was a person. And the religious authorities thought they had brought the movement to a halt by killing that person. But now the members of this movement are saying this person, this Jesus, is alive. And because of this, the movement is gaining momentum. The number of men, not including women and children, is 5,000 and growing. It's going viral. And so, Peter and John are hauled off to jail. They don't pass go and they don't collect 200 pounds. And the next day, Verse five, they're up in court before the bigwigs, the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law, and Annas, the high priest, along with his family. And notice the way that Luke, who wrote this account, records their names, Caiaphas, John and Alexander. Luke often does this, even though it might seem unnecessary, but it tells us that these were actual events. These were real people. This was a real place, just as real as our lives today. Up to this point, the religious authorities think that they are in control, that this story is all about them. They're the big boys in the playground and they set the rules. And this is evident in the crucial question they ask of these two offenders before the court. Verse 7, they say, by what power or by what name did you do this? Well, what's behind this question? Do they really want to know all about Jesus? Probably not. It's more like what happens in our house when these words are uttered. Did Daddy say you could do that? Did Mummy say that was okay? The expected answer is no. Daddy or Mummy did not authorize you turning on the TV before we practiced piano as we agreed. The right answer that Peter and John are supposed to give is that they're sorry because they weren't authorized to make religious proclamations, they weren't permitted to preach unlike the people who make up the court before which they stand. End of story. Well, because of my interest in engineering, I get these videos popping up on Facebook about cool things that people have designed. And there was one the other day about an unsinkable boat. In the video, the boat is upside down, and next thing, all by itself, it just flips the right way up. And that is what is happening here the story suddenly flips. And the irony is that the real villains, the religious authorities, thought that they were the right way up. But we see, seeing it from the vantage point of the storyteller, that this is not the case. Or do we? Have we really accepted this in our hearts and our minds? Because this story isn't just about Peter and John. If we are also believers in Jesus Christ, If we are part of this movement, this story is about us too. Let me jump ahead to verse 13 for a moment to explain the power dynamics in this situation. Power dynamics is a phrase that's bandied about a lot these days. It's a description of any human power balance in a relationship. The the obvious one is the balance of power between us and our boss at work or between a teacher and children at school, but it can be applied to any relationship. And here are Peter and John, humanly speaking, suffering from a deficit of power. They don't have a private police force, and they're not in cahoots with the main power base of the day, the Roman Empire. And they are, as verse 13 says, ordinary unschooled people. In the original Greek that this was written in, and I'm taking a bit of a risk here because Zoe O'Neill is my Greek teacher, uh, but in the original Greek, um, the word for unschooled is agramatos. And as you may know, when there's an A in front of a Greek word, it negates it, it's like adding not to it. So atheist uh, is someone who doesn't believe in God. Theo is the Greek word for God, so atheoist, atheist. So a is someone who is not up to scratch in their learning, in their grammar. And it's not that they were uneducated or illiterate, but Peter and John were in a different league to the people they stand in front of in this court, the religious academic elite of the day. The other Greek word here is the word for ordinary, which is idiotes, uh, where we get our English word idiot from. Now, that doesn't mean that the religious authorities thought that Peter and John were stupid because we use the word idiot today in English. It didn't mean the same thing then. But certainly they thought that Peter and John were beneath them. And the Greek word idiotes is derived from the word idios, which means one's own. So, idiotes literally means a private person, someone who is focused only on their own concerns with things that were to do with them personally, not someone involved in public affairs, but someone who had no influence in wider society. We might even say, if we were being unkind, a nobody. And so, in the eyes of the religious authorities, it was almost unthinkable that Peter and John should speak to the people in the temple courts as they had. I wonder if you ever feel like you're or idiotes. I don't mean do you feel you aren't educated enough or you don't have any influence in society or politics. I mean, do you ever feel like that as a Christian? In the workplace, when your non-Christian colleagues outnumber you, or even when they don't, at school or with non-Christian friends and family? Do you ever feel like you're on the back foot, that you're in the minority, that you can't say anything, that your tongue is stuck to the roof of your mouth? I know I do sometimes. And isn't that often how people who are not Christians expect us to feel, that our beliefs are somehow quaint, backward and intellectually inferior, Or simply that we should not talk about what we believe because faith is a private matter for idiotes keep your own beliefs to yourself or perhaps is it that they don't think that but we do we think that they think that and so we stay silent maybe you have never experienced that feeling but if you have you'll understand that it would be no wonder uh, that the religious authorities in Acts 4 were thinking, this is where it ends thus far and no further. We have nipped this in the bud. These guys need to shut up and they know it. So imagine their surprise when Peter and John don't play ball, when they don't act the part of someone who is idiotes or aggrammatos. Someone has said that the, the book of Acts is not the Acts of the Apostles, as we assume, but rather it's the book of the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And I think that's right because it put the emphasis on God being at work through his people. So in verse 8, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit and he is enabled to flip the boat the right way up and proclaim the name of Jesus. Peter uses a different illustration to, than flipping the boat. He, he quotes the Old Testament saying, The stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. He turns the tables by speaking about what has been seen and known by God from all eternity and recorded in his word centuries before. And then he makes the statement that defines this unstoppable movement. He says, salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. What's in the name? Power and authority, that's what's in the name. And at the center of this movement that Peter and John are part of, there is the name above all names, the name of Jesus towering above this feeble earthly religious court. These villains who mistakenly thought they were the heroes of the story are reduced to walk on parts as the main character, Jesus, takes the stage. Jesus, the savior, the hero of heroes, the only one who can rescue us. And these words Peter proclaimed about Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit are as true today as they were 2,000 years ago. The only difference for us now is that back then one side thought they were right and thought that the other side were wrong. Now people might say to us, We're both right and try to pull the rug from beneath your feet. Sure, you believe that. I believe something else. What does it matter? But the God of the universe, the God of reality, won't allow that. It does matter. Acts 4, verse 12, is an exclusive claim about Jesus. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only way. And surely, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, surely we need to echo the words of Peter and John in Acts 19 and 20. Which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen unheard. So my question for uh, myself today and for you is this, are you an idiotes? Do I keep my faith in Jesus private or do I make it public? And a follow-up question to that is, are you unschooled? Are you a grammatose? I don't mean did you do GCSEs or A-levels. I mean, are you schooled in Jesus? And as I read Acts 4 and preparing for this, what really stood out for me was that second half of verse 13 where it says they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with jesus these men had been with jesus have you been with jesus in his word with his people filled with his spirit praying in his name that's what enables us to flip the boat the right way up to see things as god does that's what enables and empowers us to have the courage to make our private faith public you know when this happened uh, to uh, to peter and john the religious authorities thought they were bringing this movement to a grinding halt but all their actions did was to give it more momentum verse 28 says they did what god's power and will had decided beforehand would happen god is unstoppable and we can take courage in that just as those early followers of Jesus did, and speak the word of God boldly. And in those last few verses of Acts, we read that they not only spoke, they acted with generosity to change the lives of those in need. And that's important because our words, our actions, and our attitude all speak of Jesus. Speaking boldly doesn't mean being rude or disrespectful of legitimate authority, or abusing our position of authority over others when the power dynamics are in our favour. Peter and John exemplify the right approach in this account. At no point do they disparage the court before which they stand. And in those personal conversations, Peter reminds us in 1 Peter chapter 3 that we should always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks to give the reason for the hope that we have, but to do this with gentleness and respect. So I hope... You're encouraged today by these words to share your hope in Jesus in whatever way you can, whether whether it's going to a far-off country or whether it's here at home with your family, your friends, your work colleagues, and so on. Remember, don't be idiotes. Don't keep your faith in Jesus private, but let it be known. Let it be public because there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that there is power in the name of Jesus. We thank you that salvation comes in Jesus and that the only way to you is through Jesus. And Father God, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your spirit that empowers us to make our private faith, our personal faith in you public, that we might proclaim the name of Jesus wherever we are, by our words and by our actions, and especially with the attitude we have to reach out with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to others. And in his name we pray. Amen.